Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I consider it a privilege to be able to talk to you. There is an Old Testament figure who is most generally studied only in relation to the prophecies he uttered and the dreams he interpreted. But aside from the specifics of his prophecies, there is so much that can be learned from a study of this man that is so very practical and applicable for us today. So much to learn from his conduct and his character that can help us, both young and old, as we try to live in an ungodly world. The man to whom I have been referring is Daniel, and he is the subject of today's episode. Outside of the book of Daniel, we read about him just a few times. Ezekiel mentions him three times, twice in Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 14 and 20, in each instance stating essentially that Daniel was a righteous man. Ezekiel mentions him in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 3, in which his wisdom is referred to. Then our Lord spoke of Daniel with reference to the destruction of Jerusalem and calls him a prophet in Matthew 24, verse 15. Except for a fair parallel passage in Mark 13:14, this is all that we read of him outside of the book that bears his name. Daniel was one of the young men brought to Babylon from Judah after the siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar in approximately 606 B.C. Daniel 1 shows us that he was a man of a certain preeminence. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 1 and read verses 1 through 7. The passage tells us, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, show intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now, among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. From these introductory statements, let's notice what we can tell about Daniel. He was among the preeminent in Judah. 
He had no blemish about him, meaning that he had no physical imperfections. He was well favored, meaning that he was simply good looking. Ancient Oriental kings held physical attractiveness in high regard and would not have permitted a scarred or misshapen attendant in his palace. We know also from these verses that Daniel was a man of intelligence. He had the ability to apply himself to the task of learning the Chaldean subjects of wisdom. Because of these qualities, he was given a three-year crash course, we'll call it, in Babylonian studies. The things that he would have studied would have included mathematics, astronomy, even medicine. The Babylonians were also known to have been adept at chemistry and metallurgy, and let us not forget the complicated system of Babylonian religion. Notice how well Daniel and his companions learned their lessons. Consider verses 17 through 20 of chapter 1. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was preeminent among the wise men of Babylon, so much so that Nebuchadnezzar found him ten times better than his magicians and astrologers. Yet even as he was rising in position in his foreign country, chapter 2 and verse 23 shows us what his attitude was. When Daniel was asked to interpret a dream for the king, he said, To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Consider Daniel's knowledge. Of what type was it? He had learned much of the Chaldean knowledge. He had learned their mathematics, their astrology, their other sciences, as well as their superstitious religious practices steeped in idolatry. But God gave Daniel the knowledge of discernment and insight. He could distinguish between those things he, he was taught that were true and really mattered. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 10, where Paul wrote, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. That is what Daniel had. He was exposed to the wisdom of the Babylonians to both that which was true and that which was not true. He had the foundation and the wisdom to discern those things that were excellent, that were true, and to reject those things that were not. Daniel's situation was in many ways similar to the situations that our young people find themselves facing today. Our young people are exposed to the false ideas of men and made to drink at the fountain of worldly wisdom and worldly and ungodly institutes of learning just as Daniel was. And our young people can remain as unspotted by such things as Daniel did if they refuse to leave God out of the picture. That takes a foundation. 
that takes learning and it takes parents committed to the task of getting the young people the necessary foundation of the knowledge of God. It can begin with something as simple as studying your children's Bible class material with them before they come to the class. Something as simple as helping them be prepared for Bible class. Things like that don't happen as frequently as they should, and so often many young people who are offspring of Christian parents find themselves influenced by the ideas, theories, and philosophies of men that they are bombarded with in school, and consequently they abandon their faith in God, Christ, and the Bible. It is not enough that children merely be taught to believe in God, our Lord, and the Bible. They must be taught that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Notice that Daniel was also a man of purpose. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 we find, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. The king had appointed that a daily portion of his meat and his wine should be given to these young men who were to be trained. It was to be the very best food that the kingdom had to offer. However, Eating from the king's portion would have involved Daniel in eating things that would have been unclean according to the law of Moses, as well as having involved him in at least the appearance of honoring idols. Most of the king's food and wine had been devoted to various gods out of the pantheon of gods the Babylonians worshipped. Daniel's purpose was a simple purpose. It was to uphold the law of God. But notice how Daniel, a man of purpose, went about it. He displayed no fanaticism or rudeness. He simply stated his purpose to the prince of the eunuchs and asked his help in carrying it out. We could say that Daniel showed himself to be a true gentleman. He would not yield in his devotion to principle, but never used such devotion to serve as an excuse for rudeness or fanaticism. Every child of God needs to be a man or woman of purpose. Many rationalize when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Perhaps it is at work where no one wants to be perceived as being a prude, so go ahead and laugh at the dirty or off-colored joke. Maybe it is engaging in some school functions, such as dances, that a Christian has no business being a part of. Daniel's purposefulness and his method of abiding by his purposes teach us a few important lessons. One is to have a purpose and stick to it, and two, don't use our purpose as an excuse for being fanatical or rude. A simple explanation of why I don't or won't do something is always better than jumping down someone's throat and will accomplish a great deal more. Daniel was also a man of principle. He was in a strange land. His physical welfare was at stake. Yet Daniel always refused to compromise truth and right, at least as far as we can tell. The pressure for Daniel, as it is for us today, was to conform. For a Christian, it seems to me that there are three areas of morality, if that is the correct word to use. There is that which is always right, there is that which is always wrong, and there is that which is a matter of opinion, in which case the Christian is free to choose, guided by his love for God and for his fellow man. Just in the first chapter of the book, in the verses that we've already read, we can see Daniel act in all three areas. 
It was always right to be kind and courteous to one's fellow man. Daniel was. It is a matter of opinion about learning from literature and culture of the world. Daniel did so and used it to serve God and man. It is always wrong to blaspheme and partake of idolatry, and Daniel refused. A classic example of Daniel's principles is found in chapter 5 concerning the famous handwriting on the wall and King Belshazzar. None of the astrologers, wise men, or soothsayers could interpret what had been written. When Daniel was brought in, we can see what the king had to say to him and Daniel's answer. Look at verses 16 and 17 of Daniel chapter 5. But I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourselves, or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. Daniel's words were not prompted by a desire for earthly or personal gain. He was going to tell the truth, come what may, and he did. People who will say what they think people want to hear are a dime a dozen. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate to themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Preachers who will preach only what they think the people want to hear, or who will refuse to preach about something because they fear the reaction of the people, well, those preachers need to get out of the pulpit. Daniel wasn't like that. He was a man of principle. Let's turn over to chapter 6 of Daniel and a rather lengthy reading, verses 1 through 10. Here's what we find. It seemed good, Darius, to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. 
Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. This was a decree that had been prompted out of jealousy by Daniel's enemies, but it was a law nonetheless. Disobedience to it meant death in a terrible fashion, but Daniel continued his custom of prayer as before. He was loyal to God over and above King Darius. There is that lesson to be learned. Be a person of principle. God always comes first. The last point I want to make concerning Daniel is that he was a man of purity. We saw in chapter 6 and verse 4, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Here was a man who truly was above reproach in honesty, fairness, fidelity, and integrity toward the king and his fellow man. Think about that now. Daniel had been brought to this land against his will as a prisoner of war, a captive. He was requested by a pagan despot to study pagan literature and science and to be trained to serve in a pagan court literally surrounded by luxury, sensuality, lust, greed, idolatry, and almost unbelievable cruelty at times. In the middle of all this, there stands this flower of purity, a man of character, true, holy, and pure. Even his enemies had to admit that they could find no fault in him. How silly it is for people to try to excuse their faults and vices on society. How silly it is to excuse by saying, I'm a product of my environment. My sinful activities are not my fault. Even in the most decadent of society, Daniel stood pure. If ever anyone could have said, well, everybody's doing it, he could have, but he didn't need to. Daniel kept himself pure. Daniel teaches us that there is no situation in this world in which a person simply has to have himself soiled and tainted, be it at school, be it at work, be it at play, be it anywhere. We can stand above it if we truly want to. What lessons there are to be learned from this great man of God. I hope you'll consider these words and thank you so much for listening.